who serves on the Home Missions Board with me, and we've been meeting with the Foreign Missions Board regularly, and uh, we got some troubling news that we're probably going to have to cut our budget by about a third, and the reason is is because that um, the uh, finances have been slow to come in if they've been coming in at all. So I want to encourage you, uh, again, uh, we don't do missions because it's something that, you know, um, we, you know, it's something that, that we should do to be good. We do it because it's God's will. And I want to encourage you to, to I want to challenge you to, if you, if you haven't been given to missions, to begin giving to missions. I'd love there to be a, a surge from this church, uh, from this congregation, that we would do our part. So whatever God has given you, if he is... If he's enabled you to do it, or you may be led to be sacrificial in your giving, but whatever, I want you to consider it so that we can continue to pursue God's interest in his plan and his will as we give into missions. Okay, I'm going to conclude the series entitled God's Choice, a description of the qualified today. And um, this this one, as Rhonda was sharing with the kids a little earlier, has to do with uh, Saul's conversion. As he went from Saul to Paul, and while she was talking, uh, I, another point came to me that I didn't have in my notes that hopefully I can remember and, and add into this message. It just continues to go on and on. But what an incredible story of Saul to Paul. We know him as Paul, but uh, he began as Saul. Let's begin with the narrative here in Acts chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 54 through 60, and then we're going to move back to um, 58. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their, their teeth at him. Stephen has just preached a sermon. And Stephen has told the truth about Jesus. And he has, he has told the Sanhedrin, which is the religious order of the day, uh, that they were wrong in crucifying the Son of God and, and uh, that they missed the Messiah. They didn't like it. Who, who likes to be told they're wrong, Right. Whether you're wrong or not, you still don't like to hear it. Well, these guys were were stubborn in their error, and they'd missed the Son of God. They were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is Saul's entrance. This is Paul's entrance into the word of God. Not a very good one, is it? While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, which is another word that he gave up the ghost and passed away. Uh, verse 58, Jesse put that on. The, they, they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And let's look back at that young man named Saul who held their coats. Now, this makes him look just like a little servant. Hey, I'll help out whatever I need to do. But the fact is Saul was more than this at this time. He wasn't an innocent bystander who happened to be nearby that they laid the coats at his feet. As a matter of fact, it very well may have been Saul that got Stephen. It may have been Saul that delivered Stephen over and told people about him so that they would bring him before the Sanhedrin. Stephen was a great man of God. 
Paul was not his equal. Saul was not his equal. Stephen was a courageous man of God. A man that John Huss probably remembered when he was chained to the stake and the flames began to lick up around him. John Huss's last words were, while he was being burned to death, the flames were kicking up around him. He began to sing. It sounds like a brethren, doesn't it? Uh, he wasn't a brethren at the time, but the brethren came along after that. But he put his, he, he just began to sing, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he said that until the fires took away his vocal cords. And they said he continued to sing because they could see his lips moving, but they couldn't hear anything. I believe John Huss took courage in Stephen's courage and his boldness. He was a gifted man of God, Stephen. He had the boldness of one who had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. This personal encounter is so key to your boldness and your courage. See, if it's a personal encounter, if it's real to you, it's not so difficult to make it real to other people. It's not so difficult to have a, a, a witness or a testimony in public when you have had a personal encounter. You've had a moment with Jesus that changed your life and made you bold. Saul, though, was a religious man. Very steeped in all of the teachings, as Rhonda was saying. He knew his stuff. He knew his Torah. He knew it backwards and forwards. And he was, in his own mind, zealous for God, trying to erase this Christianity and keep Judaism exactly where it was. Very religious. But he didn't have a personal encounter with God. He'd never met God. He knew about God. He learned about God. God was in his intellect, but it wasn't real. It wasn't a life application. There's a saying that says knowledge is the gathering of facts, but wisdom is the application of those facts. You can't have an applic- a life application until you've had a life experience, an encounter with God. So Saul's religion was not a good thing for him at this moment. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, if you're going out to destroy the church, you are a heretic, a real heretic. You're not, you're not trying to reform the church. You're trying to destroy this movement called Christianity. And yeah, I'm going to call Paul or Saul at this time. He was absolutely a heretic. He was known throughout the area. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who would, who belonged to the way or to Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As they neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? 
Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Now Saul's going to Damascus with letters from the priesthood to imprison Christians so they'd have the same fate as Stephen had. But something happens on this road to Damascus. I want everybody to repeat this with me. Say, personal encounter. It changed his life. Something amazing happens to him. You see, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ will change your life. You may be, not be knocked off the horse and made blind. And then again, you may not be out there killing Christians. But if you ask God for a personal encounter, God knew Saul's heart. Saul wasn't out there saying, I, I want, I'm opposing God. Saul thought he was helping God. And God, knowing Saul's heart, said, you know, this guy wants to be right. He's a student of me. He knows what I've said, but he doesn't know me. So Jesus appears to him. Saul, you got this wrong, sport. What do you think you're doing? Stop opposing me. If you want to be on my side, here's what I want you to do. He knew Saul was an evil. He knew Saul was well-intentioned in what he was doing. But he knew Saul was on the wrong path. And God has an encounter with Saul. You know, the church is filled with religious people. People that think they're doing right. People that feel they're doing right. But they cause harm. They cause problems. They cause offenses to take place in the body of Christ. Their hearts are good. But they need a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 9, verse 17 through 19. We are introduced to this guy named Ananias. And Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands. God speaks to Ananias and says, I want you to go. Okay? Saul, I've knocked him off a horse, Ananias. And I blinded him. And I want you to disciple him. <laughs> oh, boy. I could imagine. It reminds me of some of my friends who've taken churches that were troubled churches. Uh, they were known in districts to be, oh boy, that's a, that's a district appointed church, which means that's a troubled church. Uh, my brother just took one of those and, and he's no longer there now. Uh, he, he, uh, retired from that, that situation. But it, you, I've told you stories about his, his church in Florida where all these things happened and it was a terrible place. And, and when God calls you to a Saul, it takes courage because you're going to have to tell the truth and you know they're not going to just absolutely fall in love with it. So he tells Ananias, I want you to go and I want you to disciple Saul. Uh, Osama bin Laden needs spiritual help, David. I want you to go and tell him about me. You're talking about walking in the lion's den. That's a dangerous place to be. David, I'm going to call you to Yemen. I want you to stand on the street corners and proclaim the gospel and tell them that Islam is messed up. (laughs) Wow. This is what Ananias is facing. But Ananias, being a man of God, Loved God more than he was afraid of people. Went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me 
so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is really interesting. Saul, who grew up in the church, Saul, who was a master at doctrine, is baptized after this encounter with Jesus Christ. Something to remember, a very powerful moment in his life. Now, the word Saul in Hebrew, it really means something good, desired. So when God says, Saul, Saul, Jesus is saying, desired, desired. Why are you persecuting me? It doesn't match your Hebrew name. What are you doing, man? See, I, when I first began my studies about these, these stories, I thought, well, Saul was a bad name probably, and God turned him to Paul, which is a good name. Well, it's not really the truth. It's, it's the opposite. Saul was named right the first time, but he had corrupted his name. He had allowed his name to become something that was not desired, but something that would be feared. One of the ancients called, uh, you know, in, in talking about the, his Roman name, Paul. Okay, let's look at Paul. Paul was a Roman name that was given to him. It means little. It means, you know, that Paul was about four and a half feet in height. He was a, was a little guy. And yeah, he had a little guy image to him. You know what I'm saying? Uh, if you're small, you're good. I don't, don't, I, I don't want to get on your bad side. Believe me. If somebody's short in stature, you want to be really friendly and nice to them because they are a fierce boy. They, they can really take you, take you to the house. But here this, this little guy becomes huge. One of the ancients called him, uh, Homo, uh, Tribiculitalis, I believe is, 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 is what it's called, which means but four and a half inches in height or little. His Hebrew reputation, Saul, was so bad that the Christians decided to call him by his Roman name. Saul never outlived his reputation. That's why they called him Paul. This is a this is a reversal. And I see this happen in the church a lot. That so many bad things have happened in the church that people see us in the church. And this is why it's important to update your music, Paul. Good stuff, man. I love that song you did today. That was beautiful. I'd, I'd never heard the song before, and I loved it. It, it seemed just like a, a love song to Lord, you know. I love it when he, he sings over us. The Bible says it, that he sings over us, and he dances over us. That was good stuff. It was new. It was fresh. It was great. And you know why it's important to, to bring new music into the church? Because I know people who used to attend church, and when they went to congregation... People were ugly to them. People were mean to them. People did things that were wrong and ugly and selfish to them. And then they left the church because they were offended by people in the church. And when they come back to the church to visit and they hear the same song, same music, the same hymns, they go, it brings back those bad memories. Are you hearing me today? Sometimes our reputation follows us and it's good to keep things fresh. So we won't allow some of these memories to creep back in people's minds of what they experienced a long time ago. This was Saul's issue. They didn't want to say Saul. They, well, we'll, let's call him little. (laughs) Let's deal with Paul, but I'm not going to call this guy desired anymore because it, his reputation was so bad, he was no longer desired. His parents were Jewish citizens of Rome. They came from the tribe of Benjamin. He was educated in the schools of Tarsus, which was called in that time Little Athens. It was like the Ivy League. He, he learned the philosophy and poetry of the Greeks. He was pretty slick. 
Paul knew his stuff. He was sent to Jerusalem to study divinity and Jewish law. He was an intellectual. Okay, this is this is Saul and Paul. As a craftsman, he was a tent maker. This was his trade. And many people who were intellectuals, they were tent makers. He was a blasphemer of Christianity. If you want to say it, you can. He was one of the first antichrists. Saul was. He was a terrorist of Christians. He didn't just hold the coats. He turned them over to be murdered and to killed and desired more, breathing out hatred for these people that called themselves Christian. Saul had religion. Paul had a relationship. Huge difference. And I'm going to tell you something, friends. The world knows whether you've got religion or whether you've got relationship. You may not realize what you have if you are, are, are still walking in only religion. But the world knows the difference. They can feel it. They can sense it. We call it a kindred spirit. There's often times when I'll meet a, a brother, a Christian. I don't know what denomination he is. I don't know where he goes to church. I don't know when he is baptized. I don't know what anything about him. But there's a kindred spirit. There's an identity that I have with him. Sinners have the same thing. They have the same situation. Uh, I, I, had a, I had a friend that was an evangelist. He was a model before he was an evangelist. He was a boxer, a Golden Gloves champion, and a model. Go figure. He once told me, he said, David, I got a job not too long ago. It was a cell phone uh, job. He said, they put me on an open road where they, they shut the highway down, put me in a red Corvette, gave me a cell phone, and I was Mr. Verizon or something like that. He said, can you imagine? I'm driving in a leather seat uh, a, a vet down a road with nobody else, and I'm on a cell phone. And he said, and the reason I'm doing this is because they like my face. He said, isn't God good? <laughs> I said, to you about that, he is. And I never find myself in that situation. But, but Billy, I, I would often, I would often hear about some, some people. They said, yeah, I have problem with women in church. They all just, they all just want to get to know me and all this kind of stuff. And I, I said, I've had guys that weren't that blessed say those kind of things. And I don't, you know, I said, Billy, what do you do, man? Here you are a model, you're attractive, you got the power of God in you, and you, you must you must fight people off, you know, trying to do bad things with you. And he says, No, David, I, I really don't. I, I I've never noticed any of that. And then he stopped and in wisdom he turned and said, You know what I found out, David? I found out if you're looking for that, it'll find you. Isn't that interesting? You see, there's a kindred spirit. That if you're with God, you're not going to have those things. You're not going to have that coming up on you. You're not going to see it. But if you are kindred with evil and disobedience and rebellion, you're going to find yourself surrounded by those things. Again, that's why I don't believe in the wrong crowd. There's no such thing as a wrong crowd. If you're having problems with the wrong crowd, you are the wrong crowd. You are like a magnet attracting evil to yourself. It's not a, it's not a geographical thing where you say, well, I got to get out of here. This is really bad. You can't run away from sin. Sin's in you. And if you have a kindred spirit, you can see the goodness in other people or the evil in other people, you see. So we need to identify with Christ. And when we do that, we're going to know a brother when we see them. And we're going to know danger when we see it. See, Paul turned from being a terrorist of Christians into a child of God. What changed this guy? Was it reasoning? No. It wasn't his intellect. Was it his Bible study? No, he had that. He was messed up. That wasn't changing him. Was it his ability to debate? They said he was a powerful debater. He, he debated the intellectuals on Mars Hill. He was something else. This guy was tight. No, it wasn't that that changed him. Was it the fact that his eyes were healed? 
No, 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 no. The difference and the secret to Paul, from Saul to Paul, was a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. I want you today to embrace the possibility of a deeper personal encounter with Jesus Christ. I want you to ask God for more. Ask Him for more. Ask Him to come and change your life. Ask Him to do things that haven't been done in your life. You're better than you think you are. You have more potential than you think you have. You think you've realized your potential? No, you have not. I haven't realized mine. God has greater things in store for you. Go after it. Seek that personal moment with Jesus Christ. You may not be a Saul. You may not have an ugly, terrible reputation. But I'm going to tell you something right now. God wants to do some great things in your life. And he wants to use you in places you thought you could never function before. Saul had religion. Paul had a relationship. This was the difference between the personalities of this same person. Most people have a religion with God. Listen to this. And a relationship with others. They have intimacy with other things and other people. But they have an affiliation with Abba Father. What is wrong with that? God wants to be intimate with you. He wants to be more special than you are with anything or anybody else. This is the difference. This is what turns Saul to Paul. This is what erases any bad reputation. Paul ends up writing most of the New Testament. And many of the words that are being preached in across the world today are his words inspired by the Holy Ghost. This terrorist has turned in to a champion of God. And it began with a personal relationship with God, not with others. I was on one July 4th, we're sent up a church. It was while we were in Colleen, Texas. We're sent up the sanctuary. We had... We have the Christian flag and the American flag. We're making sure we're sometimes, well, we don't even have ours in here right now. We've got red, white, and blue, but they must be in the foyer. And uh, we were moving our flags to the sanctuary, and um, there were some people that were carrying the flags. And there was a um, a man of military that was, was with us and helping us. And, and I noticed when the flags were being brought up, you know, I think there were kids that were carrying the flags, and they weren't being careful. They weren't being disrespectful. They just didn't know, and... And the flags were touching the ground, you know, and a couple times they were, it was a carpet. They were sort of dragging the carpet. And by the way, if a flag touches the ground, it, it doesn't have to be burned. That's a myth. It doesn't have to be burned. And uh, when they were bringing the flags up, um, the military fellow turned around and saw it and, oh, he just went off. I am absolutely went off. He went over and grabbed the American flag, lifted it high and said, don't ever, ever let this flag drag the ground. And I said, okay, well, a little harsh, but he could have said it in a different way to the kids that were dragging the flags, but all right, you know. And, and then he just kept on and kept on and kept on and caressed and hugged and placed the flag. And Nobody honors the flag more than I do. You ought to know that after eight and a half years, okay? But this guy was just, oh. <laughs> well, the Christian flag had gone up there too. And it had been drug all the ground too. And I said, now hold on just a minute here. I said, the flag that represents the cross of my salvation and your salvation was drugged just as much as that governmental flag. Where's the love there, brother? Come on, man. We're a little out of balance here. And it bothered me that he was so so much about the American flag and nothing about the Christian flag. It began to tell me that, you know what? There, 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 there's a religion you've got about this American flag and you're not even concerned about what you have a relationship with. 
and that's Jesus Christ. The church is the same way. We are so religious about our, 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 our beliefs and, and not our doctrine, but our practices, about our traditions, that we either forget what God said or we don't care what God said. We will defend the traditions of man, but we will let go of the things that are crucial and important to Jesus Christ. This is the ugliness of religion, my friend. How do we move from religion to relationship? How do we move from irrelevant to world changer? Number one, so easy. Want a relationship with God. I told this to the campers a couple weeks ago. Want a personal relationship with God. I pray that God puts a holy dissatisfaction in you about religion. If that's all you've got. I want to encourage you to desire that personal intimacy that you were born for. That you were destined for. That relationship with God. Number two, ask God for one. You're not going to ask until you want. But when you want, then say, God, please give it to me. I told one of the young people today in confirmation class. When you get up here and you speak before these people, your confession of faith. Ask God before you get up there. God, give me wisdom. God, speak through me. God, use me to be effective today. I do it every single time I speak. God, I don't want to let you down. God, I want to, I want to be, I want to be competent. God, I want to be effective today. Would you please play me like a trumpet? Ask God for things. He'll give you that relationship. Next, be patient and open. Don't design what it's going to happen. Okay, I'm going to be knocked off my horse and I'm going to go blind and then I'm going to write two thirds of the Bible. No, no. Be patient and let God be God in you. Let him use you. There's a different embouchure. It's funny because <laughs> it's not how I was talking to somebody. They, they, they got embouchure mixed up with aperture. If you're, music, you're music, if you're a musician, you'll find that funny. But but embouchure is the way you hold your mouth. When you're playing a, a saxophone or clarinet or whatever, you, you 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 blow the mouthpiece a different way. When you play a trumpet, it's it's a it's actually a buzzing sound. That that's what brings out that pretty sound in the trumpet, that buzzing sound. And you tighten your lips up. If you play blowing a flute, it, it's more the the shape of the lips. That's called embouchure. Let 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 God use you, whether you're a flute, a trumpet, or a clarinet. Let Him use you. Let Him play you. Be patient and be open to what God's going to do in your life. And finally, next, next, it will be unique to who you are, to who God created you to be. Let Him use you, and then change your world. That's what you were called to do. How many times do I have to say that? And how many more times will I say that? Change your world, because that's what you're destined to be, is a world changer. Make a difference, child of God. It's who you are. Stand with me, please, and let's repeat another creed. I want you to confess these things. I want you to say it. I want the Lord to hear it, and I want your spirit to hear you make these bold statements. Are you ready? Let's repeat this together. Father in heaven, I want to trade my religion for a relationship with you. Speak to me this week. I will listen. I want you to use me. I am willing to become 
what you have destined for me. You've called me to be a world changer. And I accept. You are my destiny. And I am your child. I am yours. Change my life. And change my heart. In Jesus name. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Now. Saul become Paul. Become Paul. I don't care what your reputation has been in the past. Be a world changer. God will trust you with incredible things. If our elders, if you please take your places, we're going to enter into fellowship with the Lord right now in observing communion today as we, as we offer this fellowship with you. And again, this isn't something that is limited to certain kinds of people by age or class or denominational affiliation. If you are a child of God, you are free to receive this fellowship today. And I strongly encourage you today to receive this in love and appreciation of God. And again, how do you receive this? By knowledge? By debate? Do you receive this by accomplishment? No. You receive this by faith through grace. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. One of the cores to who we are is that statement that the Lord makes to us in Ephesians. Through who else but Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So today, no matter what your affiliation, you are welcome to receive at the table of the Lord. And I want to encourage you to do so. Now, the Bible does warn us. Because this is Holy Communion. It is a sacrament of the church. It's something that we hold very highly. And it is something we are following Jesus in that he taught us to do. When you receive of this, receive it with a clean heart. Oh, Brother David, I, I wasn't a good boy. I wasn't a good girl last week. Well, guess what? If you're sincere and if you regret what you did and you want to pledge not to do that again or not to feel that again or not to say that again, Jesus is willing He's faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. And his blood will cleanse your heart and make you new. And then when you finish receiving this communion, do as Jesus told the lady that was caught in her act of sin. Go and sin no more. Jesus wants you to receive. But first he wants you to examine yourself. He doesn't want you to be reckless and disrespectful. So at this time, I want you to bow your heads and let's ask the Holy Spirit to shine his light in our hearts, in our souls, and take away every wicked, wayward way, anything that would separate us from God's love and power, our rebellion, our unforgiveness, our grudges, our traditions. Father, we stand before you as children today. And you said yourself, You will accept we can't come before you unless we come before you as children. So today, God, make us innocent. Cleanse us of our sins. We renounce and recant our evil ways. We consider them our enemies and not our friends and companions. And we want that relationship with you. Make yourself real to our hearts and our lives. And as we receive this communion with you, let the bread of affliction... And the blood of redemption change our lives. And we will, through your power, 
change our world. We thank you, Father, for this beautiful privilege it is to commune with you. In Jesus' name, amen.